0: Hey, Thank you all so much for leading us in uh, song today, um, and thank you again uh, for those of you who are joining us who, who maybe jumped on late uh, today. My name is Paul, and I'm the lead pastor here at Alethea Church. Today is Palm Sunday, so if you have your Bible, open up to Matthew chapter 21. In just a minute, we're going to read the first 11 verses of Matthew chapter 21, um, and this is the beginning of what we call Holy Week, um, when we look back and remember Um, Jesus' last uh, journey into the city of Jerusalem where he would meet his fate uh, on the cross. And so it begins today, Palm Sunday, as Jesus rides into the city on a donkey. And uh, the crowds are praising him and worshiping him. Um, And um, so I'm going to break this down in just a minute. Um, But before I do, I want to encourage you to... um, uh, to really immerse yourself into Holy Week this year. Um, maybe uh, you tried to engage with us in Lent, uh, whether it was through fasting in some way, letting go of something, leaning in on Jesus a little more, uh, really giving yourself over to repentance. Um, and, and maybe it just because of the way all of our lives have been turned upside down um, you, you, things didn't pan out in quite the way you anticipated for Lent. Uh, and for, other, for some of us, really, we've actually uh, given up much more for Lent than we actually anticipated because of the coronavirus. But what I want to do is encourage you to really, each day, really dive in uh, to Holy Week um, and immerse yourself in the footsteps of Jesus as he makes his way into the city Um, with his disciples there are as I mentioned earlier some amazing resources on our website if you'll check that out uh, you can check that out daily there's a link right on our front page Uh, there's some songs there's some resources for your children there are resources for you scripture verses all sorts of things and so I would encourage you to check that out uh, this week as well Uh, Matthew chapter 21, uh, verses 1 through 11, Um, we're going to, I'm going to read this, and then um, I'm going to kind of narrate our way through it, and then at the end, uh, just talk about, hey, what does this mean for us right now, uh, going into this week? Matthew chapter 21, Uh, now, when they drew near to Jerusalem, they came to Bethpage, uh, to the Mount of Olives, Then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, go into the city in front of you. And immediately you'll find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he'll send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as As Jesus had directed them, they brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road and others branches from the trees and spread them on the road. This was uh, something you would do for royalty so that the person or the the animal upon which the person was riding uh, doesn't actually touch the dirt. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Now we want to be careful when when they attributed Jesus as being, This is the prophet Jesus. Um, that they actually did, at a, to a certain extent, view him as being, at least at this moment, as being the Messiah. He was, uh, he was the prophet, um, the better prophet Moses. And so uh, they did have a high view of who Jesus was at this moment. Anyway, church family, this is the word of God. Let me offer up a prayer, and we'll begin to narrate through this. Father, thank you again for allowing us to gather. It's not quite in the way that we all would hope for, but uh, we are grateful for technology this morning. As we dig into this passage of Scripture and enter into Holy Week, uh, my prayer is, Jesus, that you would capture our hearts. We are, most of us, locked in at home, uh, a house filled with people, some of us. Others of us are locked in our home and isolated and all alone. In any event, Father... um, you have something to say to us. You are not silent right now. And so my prayer is that this morning and even into this week, you would make your presence known and you would speak to us profoundly about who you are, Jesus, and and revive our hearts, Heavenly Father. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, uh, growing up, we always had uh, birthday parties. Sometimes they were really big, sometimes they weren 't so big, but we always had a birthday party growing up and I remember one part or one key part of those parties pretty vividly it was it was the presents right Presents are always the highlight uh, of any kid 's birthday party and it was no different for me. I love presents. Uh, uh, you saw, see a pile of presents there, and there 's excitement and anticipation. This is the climax of the party right opening these presents. And um, I remember that one of my grandparents occasionally had a gift um, that was less than my little heart uh, had expected. You know, we wanted a cassette tape. That dates me, right? (laughs) Uh, I wanted a pair of shoes. I wanted a Nintendo game. That dates me as well. Uh, Or anything, right? There was all sorts of excitement about what was in these presents. But my grandparents usually would get me, and I could expect this, a set of clothes. It would be a pair of jeans and a and a flannel shirt. I could, I could count on that every year. Um, but along with that present came an envelope. And inside that envelope uh, was a piece of paper. Now, the piece of paper that was in that envelope was not worth a whole lot at the time. In fact, to a little boy who had his heart set on all sorts of other things, that piece of paper was actually worthless to me. Um, so I didn't value it a whole lot. That is until I got older and I realized what it was on a regular basis, my grandparents would give me a United States savings bond. And those things helped me when I got older and realized what they were. They actually helped me get through college years after those birthday parties. And I think there's something similar going on here in Jerusalem as we arrive there with Matthew here in chapter 21 of his gospel account. You know, year after year, Decade after decade, generation after generation, the Jewish people, they they made their faithful journeys to the holy city for worship during the Passover. And as they made this journey, they were gathering uh, to commemorate the Exodus, their deliverance from slavery by the hands of slavery in Egypt by the hands of Moses. They and as they gathered, they worshiped a God who delivers, a God who redeems, a God who rescues. And as they gathered, Uh, They looked for a greater Moses, one who would ultimately deliver them from all of their oppression. They were looking for a Messiah. And there was great anticipation year after year, great excitement over this. This is what they longed for. This is what they prayed for. This is what they hoped for. And finally, when we get to Matthew 21, it appears that this person has arrived. And so, if we break this down in a couple sections, I'm gonna again, I'm gonna narrate this, and in the end, I'm just gonna talk got a couple points about what this means. But here in our passage, Jesus draws near to the city of Jerusalem with hundreds of thousands of other Jewish pilgrims, and as everyone gathers, they all have expectations, but 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 no one expects what will eventually happen later this week. You see, while they are bringing sacrifices to present to the priests for their sins, Jesus himself is coming to be the sacrifice for all sins. And as he comes, right, mountains and hills in the distance, hordes of people in their tents surrounding the city, the smell of livestock, the laughter of children. He makes one final public And really a very direct move pointing to his Messiahship. He is the deliverer that everyone was looking for. And he wants to send a message loud and clear about that reality. Notice what happens in verses 1 through 3. Now, when they draw near to Jerusalem, and uh, they came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent Two disciples saying to them, go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied in a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. He, along with his disciples, uh, arrives at the Mount of Olives where he delivered his powerful sermon about the kingdom of God. And by the way, it's no accident that he ends things here right where it all began. The Mount of Olives, according to Zechariah chapter 14, uh, where the prophet tells us, on that day his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east. The Mount of Olives is deeply connected with uh, Jewish messianic faith. And so what Matthew is saying to us here as he points us to this little detail, actually this large detail in the gospel account, he's saying to everyone who will ever read his gospel account, he is here The Messiah has arrived. He has come. Here he is. And so as they arrive, Jesus quickly gets to work sending his disciples on this all-important errand. He needs a donkey and a coat. Why? Well, it's because they say something about, again, his Messiahship, and we're going to get to that in just a minute. And as he sends his disciples on this errand, he suspects that The owners of this donkey and coat might question why the disciples have come for the animal. So Jesus gives them instructions about how to handle things. He says, if anyone says anything to you, you shall say the Lord needs them. And uh, he'll send them at once. And so he begins his final public proclamation about his Messiahship here with his closest followers. Now, I'm not entirely sure... They are putting the pieces together. In fact, if you read the rest of the gospel account, um, you'll recognize that they are not putting the pieces together. But Jesus is trying to send a message to them, his closest disciples. Here is who I am. He's making a direct assertion regarding who he really is. And there's a couple key components Uh, To this early proclamation in this passage. The first one is the fact that he's rather blunt when he instructs his disciples, right? So, hey, go into the city and get these two animals. And if someone asks about what you're doing, just say to them, the Lord needs them. Jesus was making an overt, a direct claim about who he was He is Lord. He is not just some special man who has divine powers, who can heal and who can calm the storms and who teaches with authority. He isn't just a prophet. He is the Lord, the one who has come to redeem Israel. And he makes this claim directly to those who are closest to him. The second is found... In his need for these two animals, notice the next couple of verses, verses 4 and 5. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, on the foal of a beast of burden. Jesus is extremely calculated here in this moment. As he makes this request for these two animals, this is not a coincidence, right? He's not sending for this donkey and this coat because it's the easiest thing to access here at the moment. He asks for them because they are going to make a statement about who he is. Riding into town on this donkey is going to be a direct fulfillment of the prophecies found both in Isaiah 62 and in Zechariah chapter 9. And so Jesus' intentions here as he sends his disciples for these two animals is very clear. They are to portray himself himself. His intentions are to portray himself as the long-awaited king that the prophets have spoken about. Every single Jewish adult and many of the children who would be standing by watching all of this unfold, they would clearly know what was happening. All of the Psalms, Psalm 24 that we read earlier, the prophecies, that they had remembered and rehearsed and memorized and read over and over again. They would all be bubbling up in their minds as they see Jesus on this donkey. They knew who Jesus was claiming to be as he arrived into town. And so then we hit verse 6. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. And they brought the donkey and colt and put, put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. So The disciples do exactly what Jesus directed them to do. They don't seem to be asking any questions. They just listen and go take care of business. By the way, this is always a good thing to do. When Jesus asks us or directs us to do something, um, we should always, always do it. And again, I don't know if the disciples were putting all the pieces together at this point or not, but even if they weren't, Uh, This was no time for them to debate and argue about what was going on. And so as they return with these requested animals, we see the prophecies beginning to unfold in the actions of Jesus. Preparations are, are made by the disciples for Jesus to ride the donkey through the crowds and finally into the city of Jerusalem. But the question remains, I think, at least in my mind, why a donkey, you know, why couldn't you ride anything else into town? Why are you pick a donkey? Well, as we've already noted, at a very basic level, Jesus is fulfilling the prophecies, again, both of Isaiah 62 and Zechariah chapter nine, who spoke about him riding into town humble and on a donkey. But there is significance to the donkey itself, Jesus riding on this donkey. Jesus riding into the city on this donkey would have depicted, in those days, nonviolence. This is going to be a sign that the Messiah is coming to bring peace to the earth, not war. It gives literal meaning, really, to the prophecy of Isaiah that Jesus is the Prince of Peace The donkey was in no way like not or anti-royal. This was still a royal move in the Middle East there. And you can read about other kings arriving into town on a donkey throughout the Old Testament. So, So this is still a royal thing to do. But the donkey itself, riding on this donkey, speaks about the Prince of Peace. Now, we can contrast that with the arrival, for example, of Alexander the Great Uh, In his entrance into Jerusalem in 332 B.C., uh, he comes in on his magnificent war horse, right? Coming on a horse is characteristic of power and and conquest. Uh, The horse is a warlike animal, right? You're ready to defeat the enemies. The king of peace didn't come this way. He, He comes in quite a different way. Notice further, he's riding this donkey, and donkeys are like, They're lowly creatures, right? And in their own way, they actually say a whole lot, right? They're they're slow. Uh, They're they're stubborn. Um, They're the perennial, as one writer says, work animals of the poor. Uh, They're not the best looking of animals. And yet this is the very animal that the prophecies told us the Messiah would ride into town on. This is the king of glory, the one who was riding into town on a donkey and associating with the most lowly as he rides into town. And beyond all this, he's not even arriving with a massive entourage. I was thinking about how Aladdin, he rode into Agrabah trying to impress, impress Princess Jasmine, right with all of the things that he had this is this is not what's going on here there's no pretense here right only our humble king making his humble entry into the city of Jerusalem in one of the most busy moments of the year and church family this is the way of our king this is how Jesus has come to us humble lowly and bringing peace Making an offering himself. I mean, this is essentially what he's saying as he comes on this donkey. There is violence stirring up in the city, awaiting for his arrival. There is evil stirring, and it's just waiting for him, and yet he comes, essentially hands open, bringing peace, and in the end, as Paul tells us, making peace by the blood of his cross right while our entire world is striving for power and position and prestige and prominence and even conquest jesus the carpenter from nazareth he's coming right to bring good news to the poor to bind up the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captives the opening of the prison for those who are bound to proclaim The favor of the Lord to comfort all who mourn, to make peace in the end by the blood of his cross. In other words, he is coming with a very particular association and a very particular purpose. And by the way, church family, this should be one of the most comforting things that we hear today. That this is how Jesus has come to us. Bringing peace. It is in him that we find peace. Even in this unsettled time. You know, when Jesus arrived to Jerusalem, things were terribly unsettled. People longed for a redeemer. They longed for things to get right, to be made right, to be fixed. And Jesus comes. And this is how Jesus comes to us. And then as we navigate further, pick up in verse 8, most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before them or before him and that followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. As Jesus mounts the donkey and begins to ride through the crowds of people on the outskirts of the city, he doesn't present as a military warrior, but as a humble king seeking to bring peace and riding into the crowd, riding into town, the crowds, right? At least at this moment, see him for who he is, even though they have no idea what is about to happen, they recognize him as the one who has come to deliver them but deliverance for them looked a little different than the deliverance that would actually be given right and as they shouted they were rolling out the red carpet for Jesus and by the way this is essentially what the cloaks and the palm branches were all about right this is the most important person is rolling into town today royalty is here our messiah has come our deliverer has arrived and their actions Show that they are honoring him, at least in this moment. This king was worth everything they had to offer him at the moment. And by the way, he is worth everything we have to offer him. They were shouting Hosanna to the son of David. Literally, they were saying, save, Lord, please, the son of David, save Jesus. Now, this is an interesting thing to say because he was the one who was actually supposed to deliver them. But this was the cry, this was the prayer of the people that that comes up from the Psalms. They longed so much for a deliverer that they were praying to God in this moment, Lord, save the king. Let nothing happen to him so that he can deliver us. This is what they were saying here. But, as we'll find out in the coming chapters this week, as we read, he wouldn't actually be saved. Now, now the gospel accounts do tell us of his resurrection, so in the end, he is saved. But they also tell us of his crucifixion. And this was something to the effect that they wanted him to desperately avoid. They did not want him to be destroyed. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Right, The crowds, again, quoting from Psalm 118 as they shout. And without even knowing it, they're making this basic confession of Christianity that blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the one who has been sent to redeem us from our sins, Hosanna in the highest, literally God save us with the the highest, the best resources, right? This is a prayer as they say this last statement, Hosanna in the highest, save us God with the best resources in the very best way. This is a prayer for God to pull out all the stops and to do everything at his Uh, In his power to save. We need, they are saying, an unusual salvation. So step in and provide it. This scene is epic. This is like the climax of the entire gospel narrative. For their entire lives, they've read about. They've learned about. They've prayed about. They've longed for God to show himself mighty on their behalf. They've longed for him to come to their rescue, and finally, it appears, he has come. If you and I had been there that day, for our entire lifetime, we would have been coming to the holy city for the express purpose of being reminded of and worshiping God for his character of redemption, for the reality that he rescues and delivers And now in this moment in history, it appears that he's finally come. What an epic scene as the crowds around the city are roaring with celebration that Jesus had arrived. And again, they have no idea what's waiting. By the way, these are the very types of prayers, simple as they may be, that we need to learn to be praying right now. We desperately need the salvation of our God. We desperately need God to rescue us, and we need God to come and fix this terrible mess we're in. But here's the thing. Jesus comes as the Messiah. Now, he knows exactly why he's coming and exactly what he is intending to do, but the crowds, I suspect, uh, mostly are unaware of what's about to transpire. What if... In this moment, under our shelter-at-home orders, where all of our, our schedules have been turned upside down, where things have come to a grinding halt, where all of the secondary and tertiary things that fill up our schedules are no longer even existing, what if, as we week after week, come together in this auditorium to pray for God's salvation, to pray for God to come, to pray for God to make his presence known, that this is the moment that Jesus is riding into town, making his presence known. That all of the distractions have been put away. And that if we just sit and pay attention, We actually get to see Jesus for who he is. Verse 10. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. This entrance by Jesus, this celebration by the people, it had a profound effect on the city. Jesus enters the city of Jerusalem on the donkey as the long-awaited Messiah. And the whole city was stirred up. The people were hopeful. This is the new Moses. This is our delivery. Here's what we need to take from this this morning, church family. Number one, we must, and I mentioned this, so I won't labor on this long, we must learn to pray like these Jewish pilgrims. I, you know, our, our prayers don't have to be... Um, magnificent in their, in their words or in their structure. I mean, this was a simple prayer. And by the way, this prayer that, that they were praying and these things, these ways that they were, they, they come from the scriptures. And I mentioned it this week, or maybe it was last week, maybe, I can't remember. But we need to learn to live in the Psalms. I mean, this is where the Jews got their, their language for prayer. We must learn to worship like these Jewish pilgrims. We must learn to long like these Jewish pilgrims. You know, our most basic need might not be the thing that we think it is. It is Jesus himself. And if there's anything we can learn from the crowds that day, it is that they knew, they knew that they needed a deliverer. They knew their entire lives were oriented around waiting for their their Messiah, their Savior. And I wonder it, If we really pay attention to what's happening right now, we get to recognize God saying to us, reorient your lives around Jesus, my son. He is what you need. Not all of these other things that you fill your schedules with. He is your most basic and fundamental need. Let us pray like this. And as we long, as we wait, number two, as we learn to pray, let us do so with our hands open. And what I mean by that is, as is often the case, what we want or what we expect isn't necessarily the way Jesus presents himself to us. When all of Israel was looking for a warrior to deliver them from their oppressors and from suffering, Jesus comes humbly actually entering into the suffering with them. None of us none of us would have chosen the path that we are on today collectively speaking. But what if God is doing something so profound? And I cannot begin to speak on God's behalf about why we're in the situation we're in. But what if God is up to something so profound, so beyond our imagination? Here's the good news of the gospel this morning, right? That as we're looking for, longing for, and praying for deliverance, Jesus presents himself to us as the one who has suffered for us and with us. We are never alone in our suffering. So at the very least, we need to recognize that as we shelter at home. Thirdly, Jesus, as he makes his way into Jerusalem, uh, we're going to see our king calling us to follow. Him into the fire. Remember, all along the way, particularly in Matthew's gospel, the call of Jesus to his disciples is you know, if you want to follow me, you've got to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. It's a call to fully immerse ourselves into this broken world, carrying on our back the cross of Jesus, the name of Jesus, suffering with those who suffer entering into this evil world with our hands ready to work, accomplishing the will of the Father regardless of what the end result might be. Church family, this is our call. And so as we continue to tease out what it means to um, live in our city, right? It's our desire that every, every corner of our city and its surrounding communities is affected by someone who knows and loves Jesus. Let us think in these terms. The way of Jesus Number four, whenever Jesus arrives into town, it causes a stir. People are affected. Things are changed. This is the good news of the gospel as well, that when Jesus arrives, even when things are chaotic, even when evil and suffering are stirring, Jesus brings change, and it causes a stir. Number five, we have a a bit of a prophetic view here of how things will one day unfold. As the crowds are worshiping Jesus, shouting at his arrival, Right? One day, Paul tells us, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. And so as we read this, we get a glimpse into the future, into the resurrection. And church family... One day, whenever that day is, that we get to gather and fill this auditorium again. I hope that this auditorium fills with voices and that these walls hear uh, the, the loudness of God's people singing like they've never heard it before. And my prayer is that as we hear this loud celebration of God's people, one day when we get to gather again, that it will be a glimpse into the future, a signpost of the glory when every knee will bow and everyone will confess that Jesus is Lord. And finally, church family, the good news of the gospel again this morning is this, that Jesus entered the city of Jerusalem willingly fully knowing what was waiting for him in the coming days. He knew how the week was going to unfold and yet he intentionally immersed himself into all of the chaos, all of the evil, all of the sin that this world had to offer. And he didn't just immerse himself there, he fully absorbed it, literally absorbed it in his own body and soul. And he did this for us. And even though we were not there that day, our sin was present. We are the Jewish crowds who one day bowed down to praise him and days later were rising up to curse him. We are the schizophrenic crowds lining the streets of Jerusalem as Jesus marched into town. We are the crowds who praise him with our lips and then wanted him destroyed because of what was really deep down in our hearts. We don't really, if we are honest with ourselves, want Jesus for who he is, the crucified Savior who calls us to carry our cross and enter in with him, denying ourselves. But guess what, church? We are learning today, this week, and we've been learning for the last three weeks what it means to deny ourselves. Now, as we learn to deny ourselves let us this week, as we immerse into Holy Week, take up our cross and follow Jesus. What I really want us to see today as we come into Holy Week is that we come similarly to how the Jews entered here in Matthew 21. We need a Savior. We are desperate. But again, what if Jesus is doing something that none of us expected? Some of you watching today And some of you watching on replay, you need to embrace Jesus for who he really is. The king of glory who has come humbly to bear your sins. You are part of the Jewish crowd who blesses him one day and curses him with your actions the next. Jesus is calling you to himself as he goes to the cross. Some of you need to open up your hands to receive Jesus in a way that you might not have ever experienced. While we all wait and hope and long for things to get back to normal. What if we're here a while and Jesus is simply making his way to us in the suffering. As opposed to quickly delivering us out of the suffering. Again, I'm not speaking prophetically here. I'm just asking the question. This is the king of glory. This is our king. The one who comes to us in our suffering. Let us praise him for that. Let us worship him for that. He is the one who entered in and carried our sins on his own back. And delivered us from our ultimate oppressor, death itself. Let us praise him for that. Remember what we said last week. The gospel offers us a different view of suffering In suffering, we enter the depths. In suffering, we are at the heart of things. We are near to where Christ was on the cross. Let us pray, church family.